so good to see you. I hope that you have already found yourself in the presence of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. I hope that you have seen him high and lifted up. I'm looking so forward to the choir. They are going to be sharing a Christmas musical with us on the 13th and the 15th in our worship. 13th is Friday the 13th. I told Brother Andy earlier, can anything really good happen on the Friday the 13th? He said, yes, we can come together and worship the Lord, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to come together and worship the Lord. That will be taking place, I believe, at 7 o'clock on Friday evening. Isn't that true, Brother Andy? Then we will follow that up with a Sunday morning worship service where they will be presenting the entirety of the Christmas musical again on Sunday morning in our second service. So make plans for that. I know that you will be blessed and touched. And I hope that song, was that song out of that? Add it to it, bro. Please add it to it. That's such a great song. Just find somewhere to put it in there. We'll never know that you didn't add it, all right? That's such a great song, a worshipful song just to really stop and think about who God is. Oh, let me say this. Now, y'all are probably wondering, man, why does he got so much pep in his step this morning? I do. I have pep in my step. My firstborn has come home. Amen. I am so glad that she has come back home, finished her first semester. I went to pick her up last night. We had a lot of conversation around grades and young men. That was what we talked about all the way home. And so, that's the reason I'm happy this morning. Everything seems to work out really well this, uh, this semester. So, still has a few things left to complete, but uh, very glad she'll be with us for the next month and a half, and we are so very glad. I feel like my family is complete underneath all one roof again, and that is wonderful. I look forward to being able to spend the holidays with her and glad to have her back with us. Now, as a result of that, I say all of that to get us to this point. Today is the fourth Sunday of the month. Now, for many of you, you know exactly what that means. That means that this is the fourth Sunday where we say our memory verse together, right? Yes, I see excitement on some people's face. I see dread on others, and so I do. But I hope that you have been working on your verse of Scripture. We are going to say it together. Now, this is a part of our chronological Bible reading plan that we are working through as a church. If you're visiting with us tomorrow morning, when this morning, when we get ready to say it, you don't have to worry. You can just, we're not going to, if you don't know the verse, you would have to have like foreknowledge somehow to know the verse that we've chosen this morning. We want you just to encourage you to join in with us. If you are a visitor and you would like to be a part of where we are going as a church, where we are journeying together as the body of Christ, on your way out you can pick up one of the family Bible reading plans. We are reading currently through the Bible chronologically. We're wanting people, families to come around the Word of God in his church because we believe the Word of God can make an impact in our life, that it has power to change us. So if you don't have one of those, you'd like to get one, you can find one on the way out. Go ahead, Brother Roy, stand up. You won't have to stand up again in a minute. Everybody stand to your feet this morning. We're gonna, what happens is every fourth Sunday, we memorize a verse of Scripture together, and we say it out loud, all right? I'm going to be watching closely, scanning the audience to make sure you know, taking role to make sure everybody has memorized their verse. All right, I'm seeing a lot more Bibles open this Sunday than I have in the times past. 
All right, here we go, all right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Way to go, guys. You can be seated. Yeah. Very, very good. I'm very proud of you. I told you that I would be your biggest cheerleader during this time. So I am cheering you on. If you had to have a little memory there, that's okay. So let me show you. Don't think that you're necessarily, that's the verse that I wrote down. What I do is this, you know, I have y'all looking at me. Y'all are like 600 eyes focused on me. I have two eyes trying to look at all of y'all. And so I want to make sure I at least get started in the right place and not in the wrong place. So if I can't remember exactly where it starts, I look at my thing. I do a small little cheat, but I remembered this one. It was no problem. So what I think I'm going to start doing is having them project it there in the back for me. That would be good, huh? And then you have to face forward. You can't look back. No, very, very good, guys. You know, the other thing that we've been doing on fourth Sundays of every month is taking a story out of our chronological Bible reading plan, focusing on that story and seeing God's redemptive plan being unveiled through that story. Now, I had plans this morning to preach a sermon that's entitled, now get this, it's a good title. Very rarely do I happen upon this. The Good Snake. Yeah. Did you know there's such a thing as a good snake? Now, if you're like me, I've heard this all my life, and I believe it with all of my heart. The only good snake is a dead snake. Amen? Well, I would tell you in Scripture, there is a good snake. He's the one that Moses placed on top of the pole directed by God and told the children of Israel, look up at the snake and you will be healed. It's a beautiful picture of Calvary for us. You see, when we look up at Calvary, every one of us are healed from our sins in Jesus Christ. We're not going to look at that story this morning, but that's all right. I invite you to come back on the fifth Sunday of December because in our time that morning we have one joint worship service we'll gather around the lord's table and have lord's supper on that sunday we are going to look at that story because it teaches a lot about god's redemptive plan and it allows us to see a good or get a good picture of the cross and what jesus christ did for us there so i want to invite you to come back on that one we're going to do something a little different this morning. I will say, when I left services last Sunday morning, I had all intentions of preaching that sermon. I already knew. This is, I've been looking through our Bible reading plan. I said, wow, we get this story this month. This is great. We're going to focus our attention on it. And then as I spent time in prayer this week and just hearing from the Lord, the Lord redirected me. He did. And so this morning... I want to preach a sermon on being thankful. Thankfulness. If you have your Bibles this morning or your device, please open them up to the 100th Psalm. 
the hundredth psalm. You will also notice something else. When I began to read this psalm, I'm not reading it out of the English Standard Version. I'm actually going to read this psalm out of the New King James Version. And the reason is, I love the way it is written in that particular translation. So, if you don't have the New King James, then you can look up at the screens. It will be projected there in the New King James. Now, as some of you know, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning, if they were going to give an award for the best holiday of the year, I would give it to Thanksgiving. And the reason it is, it has all of the essential elements to make a great holiday. I mean, you think about it. Family. At Thanksgiving, it's the one time of the year where my family, we all gather at my parents' house. At Christmas, that doesn't all happen. But on Thanksgiving, more than not, the vast majority of us will be gathered at my parents' home on Thursday. All of my nieces and nephews, my family, my brothers and sisters will all be there. Family. It has food, has the greatest food in the world. I mean, think about it. Turkey and dressing and all of the trimmings, potato pie, sweet tater pie. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I see some testimonies. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but it don't just have family and friends. I mean, just family and food. It does have friends. We have friends that come to Thanksgiving with us at times. But it also has other great things. When I think about Thanksgiving, I think of family, I think of food, I think of friends, I think of football. It's the one time of the year that I will actually sit down and watch any part of a football game. Man, I used to be sports crazy at one time, but for some reason or another, when we get together on Thanksgiving, it just seems like the TV needs to go to a football game. Isn't that right? Yeah, I I see that. Hey, something else. It has fall. It has fall. I love the the time of fall. It is a reprieve from Texas summer. But you know what? It's the time of the year where all of the leaves or changing color. As a matter of fact, when I look at the trees and look at all of the leaves changing color, I am just blown away. It's like God is painting a portrait of His goodness to us, right? Now, I couldn't think of an F for the last one. If you notice, they've all been Fs. You know, that's the way we have to alliterate things as pastors. The last one is hunting. Yeah. I love to hunt, and not just any kind of hunt. I love to deer hunt. And so that was the way I connected with my father. My brother and I did. We connected around the outdoors. So we hunt on Thursday. That's what we do. So if I were going to give an award this morning to the best holiday of the year, it would be Thanksgiving. Can I say to you this morning, if the only time of the year we thank God for what He has done in our life is on the day of Thanksgiving, we truly have missed it. What do you think? The word 
thankful or a form of the word thankful appears 139 times in the Bible. Two times it appears in the psalm we're going to read this morning. Now, I have an opinion as to the reason why it appears so many times in the Bible, and this is the reason I believe it appears so many times. God wanted to remind His people there is no group of people on all the earth that has more to be thankful for than my people. Would you agree with me this morning on that? I mean, just think about it for a moment. If we can find nothing else to be thankful for this morning as God's people, oh my goodness, we can, thankful, we can thank Him for our salvation. Amen? None of us deserve it. None of us could ever earn it through our religiosity or by being good enough. Out of His mercy and His grace, God has given us salvation. We don't deserve it. That alone are to motivate us to a life of thanksgiving right there. Well, the psalm I have asked you to open your Bibles to is a unique psalm. It's the 100th psalm. It is the only psalm out of the 150 that are recorded that bears the title, A Psalm of Thanksgiving. It makes, a collect, makes up a collection of psalms, a group of eight, and they all focus on the Lord's kingship, His reign. Now, this, this psalm here is filled full of joy. Actually, this was a psalm that was used by the children of Israel in worship as they proceeded up to the temple to worship God. This was a psalm that they would have been singing as they were entering in to the temple courts and through the temple gates. We know this is true by what the psalmist says here. And so what the psalmist does, he outlines for them three reasons why they should be thankful as God's people. Three reasons why we should all be thankful as God's people. I want you to listen to this psalm. It is a powerful psalm. Just listen to the words of it. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Do you serve the Lord that way? When God gives you an opportunity to serve, do you serve out of a heart overflowing with gladness for the opportunity to serve the Lord. Listen, I think this is so important for us. We need to always remind ourselves we serve for an audience of one. I don't serve for you. You don't serve for me. We serve for the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve for an audience of one. If we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ in the opportunities of service, I will promise you this, you can always serve the Lord with gladness. When you take your eyes off of Jesus Christ, that's when you become disgruntled and you're ungrateful, you're unthankful for the opportunities that God gives you to serve. You begin to complain. You begin to point out the faults of others. Amen? Yeah. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's what should mark God's people. Listen, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now listen to what He says here. 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. How many of you want to be blessed by God? Yeah, we all do. We, we desire that, right? Do you know how many times we are encouraged to bless God in Scripture? Right here we are. I wonder sometimes if we need a shift and we need to focus on blessing God rather than looking for God's blessings in our life or asking God to bless us all the time. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Please don't hear me say that. There's nothing wrong with wanting God to bless us, but I wonder sometimes if we don't lose focus on that which is most important, and that's blessing God. Blessing God. Now, did you hear how he described this event in their life? He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. This is the reason why we know this is a psalm of worship. The gates was referring to the temple gates. As the congregation of Israel went up through or up to the temple to worship God, they passed through the gates of the temple as they entered into the proper temple proper where the building was, they passed through one court after another into the presence of God. They literally, the Holy of Holies was a picture of the throne of God on earth. They found themselves in the presence of God. That's the reason the psalmist comes here and he says in this passage, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Now listen to how he closes out here. This is so powerful. He's going to call for them to confess their praise of who God is. Let thanksgiving overflow their heart. And he gives them three reasons why. He says, for the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Oh. Man, what a powerful statement. What a powerful way for the psalmist to conclude this psalm. He just comes here at the very end and he says, this is what you need to do as God's people. Focus your eyes on Him. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations, is what the psalmist says. He outlines for them three reasons why they have to be so thankful as God's people. First, he says, God's people should be thankful because God is good. When's the last time you just stopped and focused on the goodness of God? You know, as I shared with you earlier, I enjoy deer hunting. I love to go to the woods. Out in the woods, a lot of times, it just gives me an opportunity to get along with the Lord, hear God speak to me, me speak to the Lord, and just enjoy creation. There's something about it. I feel very near to God when I'm in creation. I shared with you I love to hunt. A couple of weeks ago, I was invited on a hunting trip up north by a friend of mine. 
That evening when we arrived, we were standing around the fire, and as we were standing around the fire, it was, it was cold and crisp outside, just one of those beautiful evenings. The suns were first, the, I mean, the stars were first starting to come up in the sky. Have you seen one of those? The sun was setting. And as I looked out across the landscape, the horizon there, I just saw all of these beautiful colors. Do you know what I'm saying? The hues of the pinks and the purple and the, and the red and the yellows and the blues. It was absolutely amazing. It was like God was painting a picture and He was saying to us, I am good, is what He was saying. But as I stopped and focused on that, I was reminded of something far more greater than that. As magnificent as that sunset was, it is nothing compared to the supreme evidence of God's goodness that is seen in the provision of His Son at Calvary. There is nothing that screams the goodness of God more than the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you want to know how good God is, you just step back and remind yourself of what God did for you and I when He sacrificed His one and only Son at Calvary for you and I. And I will promise you, you will never ever again question the goodness of God. The writer here in this passage of Scripture calls for the children of Israel, calls for us as God's church to focus on the goodness of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes. Yes, the Lord is good, is what he says. Perhaps nowhere is this more clearly seen than the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Just listen to the verse. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And that's God. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh my goodness, that is two of the most power-packed verses you'll find anywhere in the Bible. I mean, did you get it? Just listen to it again. Just, just focus for a moment on the words here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh my, just, man, I don't know about you. When I read that verse, those two verses of Scripture, the Word of God just comes alight, alive in my heart and my mind. And the first thing that it screams to me is this, God is good, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that He is a good God. There's about three or four more points underneath that first point. We're going to skip them, all right? Number two. Second, the psalmist reminds the children of Israel, as God's people, they should be thankful for God's mercy. For God's mercy. Now, excuse me one moment. You can turn my microphone off for me, if you would, please, just a moment. Fire me back. There you go. All right. Thank you. I was about to lose my voice. I could feel it coming. And so you might as well go ahead and take care of it before it happens, right? So number two, he calls for them to focus on God's 
mercy. The word that he uses here in this text is a very unique word. The word for mercy in the Hebrew language is the word hesed. The writer says this to the children of Israel, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. Hesed is what he says. This word hesed comes from the Hebrew word for stork. You know, like the the one that brings the little babies. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we know that's not actually true. But it comes from that word. The Jewish people noticed the tender, loving care that storks provided for their young. The parents would build their nest high up in the trees to protect their children from their enemies. When the Jewish people watched how the parents of the storks related to their little ones, this is the conclusion they drew. Now get it. That is how God loves his people. He nurtures and protects them from their enemies. He provides for them with tender, loving care. But I want you to notice, the writer takes it a step further. He doesn't just say God is merciful. Listen to what he says here. He says, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. I would encourage you in your Bibles just to underline that word everlasting or draw a circle, highlight it, whatever it is that you do that when you want to remember something very important because the writer comes here and he says to the children of Israel, I want you to know something about this God that you serve, this God that you are going up to worship in the temple. He is a good God. He is a merciful God. And I want you to know something about the mercy of God. God's mercy is everlasting. That word everlasting literally means time out of hand. If you want a literal translation, this is what it is. The tender, loving care of God goes on and on and on and on. When you think it's going to stop, it continues to go on and on and on and on. It's beyond our comprehension, is what he's saying. The mercy of God. His tender, loving care for His people is beyond what you and I can ever imagine. At the point in time we think that God's mercy will be stopped being shown toward us as His people, at that moment in time it goes on and on and on and on beyond our wildest imagination. (laughs) You You want to be thankful for something this morning? Be thankful that God is a God of mercy and that his mercy is everlasting. You know, when I hear this promise here that his mercy is everlasting, it conveys something very important about his character. This is it. It's a big theological word that we sometimes hear. How many of you have ever heard the word immutable? Have you ever heard that? Now, here, let me put it in southeast Texas Texas language, all right, so that we can understand. This is what it means. God's not fickled. You've heard that, right? God's not fickled. You know what that means? 
God's not going to wake up in the morning and look down here at us and look at a sinful people that's undeserving of His grace and compassion and mercy. And He's not going to say, well, you know what? I just think that I won't be merciful to that people today. No, Hesed, God's tender, loving care toward His people goes on and on and on and on beyond our wildest imagination. Do you see what I'm saying? At the moment in time, we may think that it will stop. It will not end. It goes on and on. You know, as I was thinking about this truth last night in my home, this promise that God's mercy is everlasting refutes the false teaching that a genuine believer can lose their salvation. Do you see that? God's character is immutable. He cannot change. God never changes, and since He never changes, when He extends His mercy to a person, He never ever takes it back. It goes on and on and on. It is everlasting. Now, understand what I said here, because some people hear that word right there, believer, lose salvation. The first thing they say, well, what about this? And they, there's a lot of questions they have, and I understand all of that. But listen to what I said here. Be careful. This promise that God's mercy is everlasting refutes the false teaching that a genuine believer, a genuine believer, can lose their salvation. You see, sometimes we approach God's Word with the wrong question. We approach God's Word with the question, can a person ever lose their salvation? Can I say something? God's Word never addresses that question. Nowhere in Scripture does He ever answer that question. The real question is this, was a person ever genuinely saved to begin with? That's the right question. You see, any point in time we say we can lose our salvation, do you know what that means? Salvation has become all about you and I. It's about what I do to keep myself being saved. I have to do this, and when I stop doing that, then I'll lose my salvation. At what point in time does a person lose their salvation? Is it one sin, two sins, 20 sins, 40 sins? Do you know what? Nowhere does the Bible ever address that. Can you imagine that? Do you think God wants us to live our lives wondering if we're truly saved or not? No. He wants to actually us to have the assurance of our salvation. In John, 1 John the writer said these words, I have written these things to you that you may know that you're a child of the living God. Know. Do you know what that word means? 100% certainty is what it means. You can know that you're a child of the living God. We should be thankful because God is merciful his mercy is everlasting third he says and his truth endures to all generations 
The word truth here is a reference to God's Word. God's Word is truth. The psalmist wanted to remind the children of Israel of the truth of God's Word, that God's Word never passes away. It endures forever. I am so very thankful God has revealed the truth to us in the one and only inerrant, infallible book in the world. The Bible. Did you hear what the psalmist said here? The word of God, truth, endures to all generations. It never fades away. We live in a time unlike any other time in the world. This book, the Bible, is more under attack today than any previous time in history. Some liberal Bible scholars would have you believe that believing that the Bible is inerrant and infallible is unimportant. I would caution you. I would remind you the very purpose of this book is to introduce us to God's supreme revelation of Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the very embodiment of truth. You get that wrong and it will affect your eternal destiny. At any point in time, we begin to question the truth of God's Word in our lives. Any point in time, we begin to pick and choose what is truth and what is not truth. At any point in time, truth becomes subjective based upon what man believes. At that point in time, we are on dangerous ground. Because then, who determines what truth is and what truth is not? It becomes dependent on what you want to believe and what I want to believe. And who are you to ever say what is truth for me is different than what is truth for you? We live in that world. Do you see it? That's the world we live in today. Now this morning I want to summarize the truth of God's Word for you in one verse. The entirety of it. Summarized in one verse. Some of you probably already know that verse. Listen to it carefully. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is the summary of the entire Bible. It speaks to truth to us about who God is. It says three very important things to us this morning. First, it says, God loves you. 
The very nature of God is one of love. There is nothing you and I can ever do to make God stop loving us, no matter how bad we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made in life, no matter how many times we've come up short, no matter how many times we've blown it in relationships. It doesn't matter what we do. God loves you. For God so loved the world is what Scripture teaches us. That's what it says. Because God loved, God gave His one and only Son. I'm very grateful that God didn't just speak the words, I love you, but God showed me the extent of His love by sending His one and only Son to go to the cross and hang there and die. That is a beautiful picture of God's love right there. Now listen, God loves you, and because God loves you, He gave to you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to perish. The single greatest rescue mission in the world is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. The cross of Jesus Christ. God's desire was no one would perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus Christ came to hang and die on the cross to rescue those who were perishing. You've heard me do this before. I love the old hymns. The reason I love the old hymns is because of what they teach us. There's a great hymn that speaks about this. I want you to listen to the words. You'll probably never guess who it's written by. It's written by Fanny Crosby. I shared with you once before, she wrote over 3,000 hymns in her lifetime. This is an old hymn that we spent many years singing in our churches. Listen to it. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for your labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Oh, folks, the hope of the world that we live in is not in our 401 or 501 or anything other portfolio that we have or any resume that we can put together or getting earned at any job. 
or I mean finding a position at any job. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who saves. He's the only one who saves. He is the one who rescues the perishing. He is the one. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been rescued by Jesus Christ? The greatest rescue mission in the world is Calvary. Jesus Christ came and died to pay the penalty for our sin. And it is only as we look to him that we can find salvation. Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Oh, Father God, thank you for this psalm where we have an opportunity just to stop and to be thankful for your goodness and your mercy that is everlasting and your truth that endures to all generations. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who does not know you, that during this time of invitation would be an opportunity for them to respond to you, to give their heart and their life to you, Lord. Father, draw and convict people unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one who does the saving. We give you this time and pray that you would be honored and glorified through it. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.